Hello and welcome to the Emotion of Wood podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And uh, this week's episode, or this week's episode, wow, gosh, see now there's, I've given away, right, where we're going today because this episode is, uh, is a dual take. I'm going to start again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so used to hearing this week's episode from Ross. But... <laughs> No, I'm not going to start again. I'm just going to put this out. It's fine. Uh, no, we're good. Uh. Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And this episode is a bit special. Uh, it's a bit special because it's part of a, a double episode that's going out with the teams from uh, MindTools. That's MindTools FB, which is for business. Know. <laughs> uh, where where we, we collaborated to do a fringe event at the Festival of Work in London in, uh, in 2023. Uh, and, and as part of that fringe event, we identified some hot takes and our definition of hot takes is something that is slightly provocative, but also may have an element of truth in it. Um, and on the Mindtools episode, we've looked at one of the hot takes and this one, we're going to be looking at communities. Um, and the hot take we're reviewing is L&D can never build communities as they're not targeted or rewarded for it. So that's going to be the hot take that we'll explore. Uh, we've got a few different guests on the show today. So let's get our guests on the air first before we dive into properly. So our first guest, I'd like to welcome for the second time, on the Emotional World Podcast, <laughs> Ross Garner. Hello, Ross. Hello, Phil. It's lovely to be here. So that's uh, two appearances from you in your show and nine from you on my show. So some work to be done. Some, Not absolutely. that anyone's counting. No, no, you, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that voice that you heard is our second guest from the Mindsports team, which is Nadia Khan. Hi, Nadia. Hi, Phil. Thank you How for having you? us on. I'm oh, good, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and it's Friday, which is nice. Uh, and the final guest that I'd like to welcome to the team is a member of the Emotion at Work team, which is Lizzie. Say hi, Lizzie. Hi, Phil. It's really nice to like be on a podcast. Usually I'm just like promoing the podcast. Now I'm on a podcast. Yeah, I'm very Absolutely. Excited. You can put yourself front and centre now when you're when you're promoing it. You can say, because this is me. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is me. I am here. Now, it's I was me. excited. Hi. The, the, yeah, uh, Taylor Swift <laughs> rendition there. Oh, well, did you know, Ross, that Lizzie has got the cardigan? The so cardigan? The, the cardigan. cardigan. Yeah. yeah. Lizzie has the Taylor Swift. If only this was a video format. Taylor Swift has a cardigan? I'm sure yeah. she has many cardigans. But it's like the cardigan that she's like written the song from Folklore on, if that makes sense. It's like cardigan right okay, there's a okay, whole okay. taylor swift like general knowledge thing about clothing items you need to do a deep dive on this we do well yeah. we could do a deep dive yeah. ages i mean we could we could talk about the scarf as well but uh, we'll, 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 leave, <laughs> we'll leave the we'll leave the scarf yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah moving swiftly so, uh, on Ashley done. Uh, so within the emotional work team that we have three big swifty fans uh in myself lizzie and ashley we're, we're all big taylor swift um, fans and Ashley was the only one to secure tickets. Not that I'm jealous in any way, shape, or form. You know, I got tickets. Ash oh, uh, <laughs> lovely! Well done, congratulations! Well done, Ross. Where are you going to see Stockholm? Ah, okay. Yeah, I didn't think Sorry, about trying to get international tickets. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was like the, the A, you've got tickets and B, you had an idea that's better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the uh, it was like the guy that pilots the the ship in the Matrix with like the eight computer screens up, but each logged into a different <laughs> Ticketmaster account trying to get to. <laughs> Um, yes, and I, I should say that Ashley's lack of presence on this podcast has nothing to do with the fact that she secured tickets to Taylor Swift. Um, she's actually <laughs> just to be clear. Um, uh, I was hoping that we might have uh, Owen Ferguson on the on the podcast today because it was Owen who gave uh, the Emotional Work podcast intro to us. So way way back in 2017, um, uh, Owen left a review on. Uh, on Apple Podcasts about the podcast, and he said it it takes a deep dive into the human condition, uh, and then it was that line from uh, from his review that we stole, and then um, becomes part of the intro to the podcast. So, uh, even though you're not here, Owen, you are here in spirit. Thank you. Uh, he's going right, to so, <laughs> love that. Uh, so, where do we go then next? So, we go into as we always do with the emotional podcast. We open with uh, an innocuous yet unexpected question. Now, I did have three questions prepared for today, and one of those was going to be, "What gets you hot under the collar?" Now, um, I, I decided not to use that because a, if Owen was here, he would just be talking about stats, and he'd you know pull out a peer-reviewed paper because that's what gets him hot under the collar, um, and I'd have no idea where Ross would take something so. Um, innuendo ridden and I don't trust Ross to where it could go so I decided <laughs> not to use that question Something Star Wars related <laughs> uh, So my uh, unexpected yet innocuous question for today is uh, what has grinded your gear or ground that's a better word than grinded what has ground your gears recently so what's something that's kind of grinds your gears and makes you go, oh, I have some, something along those lines. So what has ground your gears recently? Ross is ready. Go on, Ross. <laughs> you could tell. I looked off in a panic and then sort of like sat back confidently. So I'm going to see the final hour of Oppenheimer, which ah. I, I thought that film was so intense. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I think there's a lot of Christopher Nolan films. They're so good. And then at a certain point, you think this could have been a little text card that came up on screen and said, you know, Oppenheimer's career ended with blah, 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 rather than having to to watch it. So I thought it was incredible up until the kind of the actual attack on Japan. Uh, well, I think we know what happened. So you didn't really spoil it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, the, for, for, for those who know a bit about history, they kind of know what happened. Wonderful. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Nadia, what's ground your gears recently? Um, I think what has ground my gears recently is um, just how negative the press can be Mm -hmm. and how news is. Um, Being away on holiday for two weeks, I, I did take a bit of a news um, I have a background in politics and economics, and uh, as a result of that, I'm always quite interested in current affairs and okay. um, I- interested. So naturally, the news is, is something I consume a lot. But when I went on holiday, I kind of deliberately did not watch anything or read anything that was newsy, apart from fiction books. Even the books I took, I, I made sure I didn't take anything too deep and meaningful. Mm. And I, I definitely saw an uptick 
in just my general well-being and outlook on life. I yeah. mean, the, the Lisbon sun definitely helped. Um, but what ground, what what has ground my gears a bit in this is that just how much even reputable news channels spend on time spent on just doom and gloom and how negative how negative that spiral can be mm. and it's important to report the news it's important to report what is happening but it's also important i think to put perspective on that and to be quite clear about um you know what what we can actually do i, I often think when people write news you need to think about the impact you're having on the end user and what action they might be able to take from that. Because in most cases, we can't really do anything about those situations. It can mm. inform us, but it can also leave us quite bereft um, because you feel a bit down about it. So I think it would be not, what's going on my gears is that uh, how negative some of that stuff can be and um yeah, I think I'll be taking some more news detoxes quite soon. <laughs> uh, I can understand. I definitely understand that. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Nadia. Uh, Lizzie, what's ground your gears recently? Like a very, very small, insignificant thing. But outside my apartment building, there is a massive um, like billboard poster. Mm -hmm. And for the past few months, it had a lovely advertisement of the new Barbie film. And every time I like go anywhere, I walk past it and it just makes me smile. It was really like nice colors. It was really pretty and it just uplifted my day. And that was changed on, I think it was Tuesday morning when I first saw it to this. Um, it's, it's an advertisement for like TNT, like sport, which on the surface, I don't mind. Sport's great to watch. It's summer. There's a lot of sport going on, but it's like the advertisement. It's a completely black background. And it's like then like cuts cut out of these three male sports players and they're all like you know doing that like angry shouting that people do <laughs> and it's just that and it's just i don't know why but it's just so interesting how it like it's such a small thing but how it changes like just the way you feel as you're like walking out um and so not that there's anything wrong sports great but it was yeah that was a bit like I liked the Barbie poster and now it's been changed um, to something that feels a little bit more gloomy and aggressive. Yeah, that sort of ground my gears a tiny bit. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, Lily. Um, uh, what's ground my gears recently is humans, um, which I know is like a, <laughs> a, a really big... You change no. your career, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm working on a project at the minute, and, and last week we had um, we we did a, an awful lot of, of work, an awful lot of thinking about um, some actions we needed to take and how we needed to to approach um, what we were doing over the next kind of week or so. Uh, and we finished that meeting. I think it was at like six o'clock on on the oh, day. It was the Wednesday, and by nine thirty the next morning, uh, over half of the people in the room on three separate occasions had all done the complete opposite of what we agreed to do the day before. Uh, and I was like, what's the point? <laughs> just done, we just done all of this work together, right? This is what it, this is how it needs to be. This is what we're going to do. And then they did the complete opposite. Um, I know 
because I, I, you know, human behavior, emotions, all of those things, asking somebody to, to uh, or somebody choosing to behave in a different way is hard because they behave in a particular way. So long. I, I understand all of that, but it, it really ground my gears on that, uh, on that Thursday morning. I was like, oh, what's the point? Um, and I got over myself. It was fine. Um, but it certainly ground my gears. <laughs> Sounds frustrating. Uh, I I guess it is, Um, but it's one of those things where what we've got in that example is a a community of people that operate in a particular way. And then when you're trying to get that community to behave in a different way, you've not just got the individuals that themselves are are thinking, right, this is how I'm going to be now. You've got all those that they they interact with in the community that expect them to behave in a particular way. So they leave the space or they leave the the opportunity for someone to do that or they look to them to do the behaviour that they would typically do. And so it's easy to then do what you've always done rather than try and do something different. So, yeah. yeah. What a a deep dive into the human condition. Well, I was about to say this um, this is very much in that space and having delivered a number of kind of change type programs over my career, I'm, all, I'm never surprised, but it, it, it always comes up that winning people's hearts and minds, it, even if something looks like it's a good thing to do, it, it takes a lot longer than you, you ever think it's going to take. Even if the rationale is there and everyone is signing up to it, it's, you might win someone's mind. You, it's winning their hearts and getting them to emotionally come along with you, which is the hard part of any kind of doing work in a different way to what they're used to. And the emotion um, at work. And the emotion at work. There you go. It's there all connecting go. now. <laughs> I mean, if only there were some tools to change the, the mind. If only, the heart. <laughs> if only, Phil. If only. All right. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's move into uh, let's move into the hot take that we're looking at, at today. Then, so the hot take was um, learning and development can never build communities as they're not targeted or rewarded for it. Um, and uh, a lot of us are parts of communities, so we're all in, we're in different communities of practice. We're in different communities that we operate in. So, um, what are our thoughts on the hot take? Do we do we agree with the hot take that L and D can ever build communities as they're not targeted or rewarded for it? If so, why? If not, why not? I feel like I want to come to Nadia first mm. on this one. I mean, people build communities. It's your if we're talking about this in the employee context, it's the employees mm. that build those communities. I don't think it's learning and development may facilitate the um, creation of either online or offline communities. But what really builds a community is um, are, are the people that are engaging with it. And that's what sustains the community. Mm. And we know this from, I know we're going to go on to talk about this, obviously, um, you know, that's essentially one of the hot takes we're discussing. But communities of practice don't just appear overnight. They take quite a bit of time to establish because they're based on mutual trust and understanding. Um, they are they are based on honesty and transparency. Um, so it's it's getting employees along to understand what the values are of a community of practice and encouraging them to develop and sustain them themselves, as opposed to L and D. Uh, you know, building and sustaining that community. It's facilitating that and explaining the importance of it and demonstrating the importance of it. But I don't think 
and indeed can build a community. Okay. Thank you, Nadia. Ross, what are you thinking? I think it's it's a it's a timely question um, or criticism, I guess, because the um, there's a lot of chat more broadly about communities in the tech space, basically because of the implosion of Twitter and then the sort of pro- proliferation of alternative social media apps and the difficulty that they have actually gaining traction. Mm-hmm. So like Threads was like in the news. So that's the um, the Instagram uh, uh, app, um, which grew really quickly because basically people could just import. It was really fast, easy to sign up and you could kind of port some of your Instagram community over. But it doesn't seem to have... Um, it can't happen overnight because the, the the beauty of Twitter as it used to be, and why it was so valuable to me as an L&D professional, was, there was everyone else that I wanted to speak to in the L&D community kind of like had things to share and was interesting, was, existed on Twitter. Uh, and Twitter had this dominant position where like it would appear on the news, like every like news reader would have their t- Twitter like handle would appear under their name on the screen. And when you were watching things on TV, the Twitter hashtag would come up with them. Mm-hmm. And so you had this sort of, one central place like it was literally like this town square kind of environment for everyone uh, on the planet that had internet connectivity uh, and that's great because everyone's in the same place the difficulty in the past has been when you try and create a community somewhere else you're often introducing a new platform you're introducing like a place that people have to go it's not somewhere that they already are so then you need to uh, make it a habit for people to go there and you need to have this kind of network effect where the people that they want to interact with are already there because it took me like two years to really get into twitter like to actually mm. build a network of people like phil you would be one of them like someone who i've met through that twitter community and, you mm, know, definitely I've, I've then like formed friendships with and, and met mm. irl and we've done and things like that but that didn't happen overnight it took a really long time and so i think if you can try and do that in the corporate space some of the difficulties are you're creating somewhere that people have to go that that they're not already. It's like, then you have to build a habit to go there in the first place. Then you have to make sure that the relationships are forming. And that takes a long time. And most organizations aren't willing to wait two years to see if a community forms. It's quite a high risk strategy. And I think Twitter was quite organic. Like there was other social networks that kind of came up, failed and went away. So it's not like there's a path that we can follow. There's just survivorship bias where Twitter survived and others didn't. And now that Twitter is fractured, I think we're seeing that play out again with the other like mastodon would be another one that came up and then there's truth mm-hmm. social obviously is the trump one and then there's like there's pockets of these things that come up um but you're needing to make a conscious effort to go there and invest the time as individuals to form a network within those places so that's difficult even on the individual level it's even more difficult if you're going to do it in a smaller context it's just a business it's not the whole world um and try and shepherd people to form relationships there so it's just really difficult it, I, th- I think it's really difficult, but I think it's also probably if you look at two communities of practice and you've just described what, what Twitter was like, you've described, um, uh, you know, I know a number of people that are on Discord um, yeah. and their community groups. So there is something about the corporate environment in which I almost think L&D, as I said, needs to create the technology and the places for that for it to to create the tech and the space for it to do, but it almost needs to take a real step back because there is a level of trust and transparency in those groups, which I don't think would be there if people felt like the whole business was able to see what people were talking about. Do you know what I mean? I think there is mm. there is something about 
a community of practice. And if I think about communities of practice that I've run in the past, um, they've operated in, 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 in kind of face-to-face communities of practice. They've operated under the Chatham House rule. Um, people and for, for listeners, yeah, Chatham House that, yeah. rule is that yep. um, if somebody shares something in a discussion, you are able to talk about it outside as a topic area, but you can't attribute it to a person or an organization. And it creates a certain level of trust. Now, I think that's, that's we're, we're both probably coming to the same point, and it was one of the points I made earlier, that it doesn't happen overnight because trust doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people to feel comfortable you always, Every time space, I say anything, you always, like, you, you always claim you made that point already. <laughs> I'm reinforcing the point Mm. (laughs) that trust is because it's not going to happen overnight it it never does Um, and that is that is based around trust so if we look at the the general employee life cycle some of that is always not in our control either because Mm -hmm. people may not be in organizations for long enough or in working in certain teams for for long enough there are things sorry i know this is your show phil um, <laughs> i will let you come back in but there's because uh you talked about um lnd can build the tech to enable that i think i would almost say the opposite which is uh you kind of need to be looking at where where do pockets of community already exist within your existing tech infrastructure because that's to, yeah. to the habit piece i was talking about before rather than form a new habit of going somewhere new this new platform where you're going to have community where are there already communities and how can you help those flourish? So like Teams, for example, I don't think it does as good a job as Slack, um, but if yeah, you have mm-hmm. Teams, you could use that. If you have Slack, you could use that. Yammer never really seemed to work for this. Um, I'd be interested in what Lizzie and Phil thinks. Well, I, I think for, for Lizzie in particular, someone who, who looks after our community, so, and in a way we're, we're trying to do I guess Ross, what you're describing there, you know, creating a, a different space where where people that are interested in, passionate about, um, you know, or, or or you're struggling with, you know, what do I do with emotion in the workplace? Then where, where do I go? What do I do? So that's kind of sits in in Lizzie's um, accountability. So yeah, I don't know, Lizzie, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Stand. What would an L and D community? look like and from you guys who have like so much experience in this field like i guess almost what would be like i don't know if it's crude to say but like what would be the point of this community if if lnd were able to build a community what would it look like and what would the purpose be for people um i'd be really interested to know what you guys think of that like would it be a place because i know we've mentioned like communities of practice would it be a place that people come to get information about LND or talk about LND or talk about what they're learning. Yeah, I kind of wanted to like delve into that and see what you guys thought. Well, if, if, if uh, any of our fair listeners want to think about how to set up a community, there, there's your pick list of questions from our own Lizzie Filicky Brew um, uh, there <laughs> to, to get your thinking um, started. Um, so to answer, Lizzie, I think there, there's a couple of different perspectives. So, so one, I think the hot take is trying to get at the idea that L and D is a is a as a function or as a team within an organisation um, then creates 
kind of L&D then creates a community for people to come to. So that could be a community of, of practice where you've got people who share a, a, maybe a, a technical expertise or share an interest or share a, 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 a yeah, an area of you know, responsibility that they have to come together to, to discuss and solve problems in that way. Um, it could be a broader kind of company community where you're trying to get people together to um, who who all work for the same organization and want to talk about where the organization is going and what it's doing and, and, and those kinds of things. Um, I, I think the hot take itself was around this idea that um, when when because the, the hot take was L and D can never build communities as they're not targeted or rewarded for it. So. To Nadia and Ross's points about communities can take time to come together, that if you try and force somebody into a community, then that community can't sustain because it's it's unlikely. Well, that's not true. I'm sure again. If you force people into a community, it's unlikely to sustain because you're forcing someone to be there rather than them being there out of a, a want or desire. Um, so I think to answer your question, it, it could be where I think it's less about uh, the hot take, I think, was less about L&D kind of creating a community for themselves. It was more about them trying to create a community within an organisation. Do you yeah. know it would be fair, Nadia Ross? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I think um, Mark Britz and James Tyre, who are two people who I met via Twitter as part of that community of practice, um, they wrote a, um, a book on the social by design, which is super short. You can read it in like an hour and it's, it's, I really recommend it. They've come on um, our show, the Mind Tools L&D podcast a couple times to talk about it. Um, but they basically describe how um, if you have a problem at work, and we actually did some research within our business as well on what do managers do when they have a problem at work. The, mo- the first thing yeah. they do is they ask another manager. Uh, and so what Mark and James would say is like, often that's what happens in all organizations. You ask the person that sits next to you. And so to your question is like, what's the point of a community of practice? I think they, or a community within an organization, it's an attempt to scale that. So if you have difficulty with a particular thing, say for example, in our business, we, um, um, we're trying to become more data led and we have experts in data. So if I have a question about data, rather than going off and Googling that and not being sure which results to look at or what to trust or how they're how to apply them in my context. There's people in my business that I could talk to about data and I could learn from if only I was connected with them. Mm-hmm. So the notion of like having communities within a business is, is normally like you're trying to sort of create shortcuts on this sort of highly interconnected network where if you have something you're struggling with, you don't have to go on a training course to to search for yourself. You don't have to request training. You can um, easily be connected with someone or you've already got a relationship with someone that can help. The difficulty yeah. with that is that how does that happen without someone there encouraging it to happen? And, and Mark mm-hmm. and James in their book kind of have this process of like being really explicit about, um, actually wrote it down. So they have, you want to create a system, like uh, be systematic about it, like promote this idea of building community so that people are aware that it's a thing that exists and that you're talking about all the time. Um, once you have a system to it, that can then lead to behaviors like, encourage people to share stuff and to respond and then celebrate when that happens. So that system leads to behaviors. And then the more those behaviors are demonstrated, that leads to beliefs. And the beliefs to kind of get to is when I share my experience and learn from others, it's better for everyone. Yeah, That's the kind of ideal, but in practice it's really difficult. I So I think actually looking at this hot take again, communities of practice is a possible outcome of something that L&D could play a part in, which is social collaborative learning. And yeah. that's what you're talking about there, Ross, which is 
how do you use internal experts? How do you use people within your peer function to help you? And how does and indeed create that environment of which one could be encouraging things? It's like it's almost encouraged. like gardening rather yeah. than creating. It's like you're like exactly. helping form these links. You're not necessarily controlling it. Yeah. And if we look at high performing, top performing organizations in our benchmarking study, they do a lot in this space. They are highly socially collaborative LD teams um, and create those and, um, as you say, encourage and facilitate those environments. But they also are big users of internal experts. Mm-hmm. Um, so where where is the good practice within the organization? Where are their skills? Um, and they are very, very clear where their key critical capabilities are across the business. So that to your to your earlier point, Ross, when we do look at our own learner data and we crunch it, we know that speaking to somebody in your team and speaking to your manager is probably the face you're, uh, place you're going to go to first. So how do you create that there? So I think, it, you know, if you pair it back and think what where communities of practices can derive from, which is mm-hmm. greater social collaborative learning, then LND definitely has a role, uh, a, a quite a strong role in emphasizing the importance of that over potentially other um, bits of tech or guidance that they might be providing um, in relate, as opposed to directly being able to influence communities of practice. I'm curious how Lizzie and Phil, your community works. Uh, I guess like what I mean is how much effort is it and what kind of um, impact have you seen? And the reason I'm asking is because I was talking at the start about you need to build a community where it already exists and build on those foundations. Um, But there is actually an advantage to what you've done, which is it's separate from the workplace. So you lose some of the the baggage that Nadia was talking about earlier on about, oh, I don't want to say stuff at work because I'm at work with my colleagues. Having a separate space like the Emotion at Work community means you can talk to peers who you don't work with um, as a who don't have that same kind of, there's not that obstacle being worried about what you say as long as those like r- rules are in place and confidentiality and stuff. So I'm curious what your experience is. Phil, I don't know if you want to go first because you sort of, the community was like your, you created it and now I'm like trying to help, yeah, I guess run it. So yeah, you sort of go first in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> Um, so it's hard. Um, uh, so I think, um, uh, and, and we've, so I think it's hard for a number of the reasons that you talked about, Ross. So one is it's a different space. So it needs people to then go and log into it or you know, to open it up. So there's the, there's those kind of barriers to entry in terms of going to that different space. They've got to you know, find a reason to want to go there. Two, um, the community is, is a, or emotional work as a business is about normalizing um, or, or harnessing the constructive power of emotion and, and the expression and the discussion and the exploration of emotion around that. Um, and even though it's in a closed community forum, it's still public. It, you know, so in that, and anyone can join the you know the register of their email address and they're in. So in in terms of how, so if we think about how many community members post within the community. So I'd probably say we've got a core group of a, a very small core group that do, and mm-hmm. very few others that do. And if I mm-hmm. had to if I had to hypothesise why, 
it's partly there's going to be there's going to be a bit of I don't know what I should say. You know, what, what do I, you know what, what what do I say? I don't know what I don't know what to say in this in in, in this place. And there's also a, if I say this, how is that going to how's that going to go? So if I say if I use my what I learned this week, if I post about how frustrated I am with humanity about the fact that you know changing behaviours is really really hard and blah blah blah. Uh, there's a risk that someone's going to judge that and go, well, of course they weren't going to change in less than 24 hours for you, idiot. You, do you understand <laughs> nothing about human behavior? Um, yeah. You know, so so I, I don't know what it is. You know, so I, I said I don't know what it is. I can hypothesize as to um, you know what some of the barriers are. What what we see is people come, so they join they they join the community. They will log in. They'll log in repeatedly. We can see that there is an update the, for it. So there's an appetite for it. People will come back in yeah. as well. So they'll come back in and find content. They'll download content. They'll access resources that we're putting in. They'll join us on webinars. Um, but in terms of actually having a, like a, a, a voice in that community, I would say the the dominant voice is is, a, is around emotional work. It's my voice. It's Lizzie's work a voice, or it's the, it's the the kind of the team account um, that has the, the main voice in there. So, um, so it's hard. In answer to your question, you know, how do you find it? It's hard. It's really hard to do. You see that on LinkedIn as well. I think I've heard recently only two percent of LinkedIn users ever post, like ever, on the platform. But there are um, like I post quite a lot on LinkedIn, and I see people that like stuff all the time who I've never seen post. There is a big chunk of folk who are lurking, and presumably mm. they're doing that because they're finding value from it. They're spending their time to to go on LinkedIn without posting, and that'd be the same with your community. So I think there's because it's like the sort of visible community, but then there's a kind of this peripheral like. Uh, uh, Urt cloud is that what you call it it's kind of like, like uh, that's a very nerdy reference but like um surrounding it without ever actually getting involved yeah. but still getting value from it yeah and i think just to name check i think it was charlotte from the mind source team that did the uh the two percent uh people post on linkedin was it right. um, yeah. reference i think it was in the episode on uh it was the episode recently that Gemma hosted with uh with charlotte on there a lady called steph and claire i think was on that i can't remember the exact episode but just oh, yeah, I can send a charlotte, link thank for you for shows. your uh, yeah. yeah thank you I, uh, I think there's an interesting point here and i wonder if um lizzie and you have felt this as well phil because i've run um our mind tools learning innovation group in real life mm-hmm. as we call it and IRL. IRL. i'm showing my age now um <laughs> And um, also run, um, actually worked for an organization which only built communities of practice before I joined, um, joined MindTools. Mm. And most of those interactions were face-to-face. And I found that the conversation was much more engaging face-to-face because people knew yeah. it was in the moment. Um, was not recorded again it was Chatham mm. House um, and in recent time I obviously since COVID been um, experimenting with the learning innovation group most of those sessions are now online we are doing some Roth and I are doing some face-to-face sessions it'll be interesting to see um, where I don't record the sessions people are really open the mm. moment we record a session even if it's the presentation part of it because some people can't make it people immediately don't talk. What's really interesting about it is that um, I do hear of people that are connecting outside of the sessions. Mm -hmm. So on one-to-ones where they'll say, oh, you mentioned that in the last session. Um, Can we have a conversation about it? 
so which is fine for me you know it doesn't need to happen in the session the whole point is that this as a community sustains itself hmm. um and they are adding value to each other but i think it's it's again it, it it's we've mentioned this a couple of times these communities will take a bit of time to build up trust and rapport and understanding with each other and i think it you know there is something to be said if we think about the event we did at the festival of work actually having those people there face to face having mm. that discussion so you know maybe there is a bit of a hybrid element to communities of practice um in which people feel more confident because i think in a professional environment as opposed to a discord group where you you know you could be talking to a 55 year old investment banker in new york or something and mm. you know that they're, they're part of a discord group of somebody half their age or something it, it doesn't matter as much because the topic of conversation is usually something they're quite nerdy about and that's mm. driving the discussion but here when you are actually trying to create an environment in which people are supporting and challenging each other you, you probably need a combination of um mixed methods i think in 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 growing that community i think that's yeah i was just gonna say that's a really interesting point and the like the way sort of people either open up or shut down depending on whether things whether they're kind of they feel like safe psychologically yeah. safe in the environment yeah. and i think because of the whole sort of premise of our community is talking about emotions and that traditionally and to this day it's something so many people still find really difficult so exactly. i think it kind of and i think there's already um like a level of like self-consciousness that people feel when it comes to interacting on social media and i think that's obviously demonstrated by like the two percent fact and so when you then scale that to talking about something that is even harder to talk about and feels even more i don't want to use the word unnatural but it doesn't it might not feel very intuitive to a lot of people um i think it sort of it just seems to heighten that barrier so i think you're completely right in a it takes a long time for that trust to be built and b in person events i think because there's so much like that happens when you're sort of talking to someone face to face um sort of like subconscious social cues that can help you to feel relaxed and help you to open up in a way that just when you're staring at a computer screen about to write a post you don't you don't have i think there can be a lot more like anxiety around it so i think yeah maybe communities need to put more into like in-person events or events where maybe it's online but you can you know it's a cameras on things so you can see everyone i'm not sure it's a regularity as well Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you find this and we find this that the people that have been coming to sessions of the learning innovation group regularly now know each other um, mm -hmm. and some of those they've met in real life and it's when you consistently go somewhere and bump into the same people if you think about all of us here that's that's what's been happening over the years we haven't built this level of trust to create this kind of joint community experience that we're doing right now without investing time and effort in that so um and every you know we, we, if we talk about the human condition everyone is different 
some people take a little bit of time before they can start sharing in others it months and years before they get comfortable in that and that's okay and i think we need we do we do need to appreciate that sometimes it can feel like and we've had some experience of this um uh, i'll be interested to hear your views and and obviously i'm sure um people listening in may have some views to share as well around um some of the groups that are online or linkedin groups or wherever it does feel like you're shouting into a bit of a cave you know, you're posting and regularly putting things in there and people are not engaging. Um, and over time, they just become dormant because it's the same people speaking again and again or not speaking. Um, so if we are to keep those online communities vibrant, then there, there's got to be ways in which you build engagement outside of that piece to think about you know how you drive more engagement internally again you know maybe a bit of a mixed method okay um so one of the one of the questions i wanted to ask was uh where or how do you see l d building communities and are they successful and i think to a certain degree we've answered some of that already so so ross with you know some of your examples of the social by design and there's some principles in that yeah. the idea with your learning innovation group and uh, and so on so i think i'm going to take us into our, our final couple of questions then if that's okay um and uh the regular feature that we start to do at the end of the, this episode uh, end of this episode oh, try again the regular feature that we're doing at the end of this podcast then is about what surprised us um and and work my question is going to be around what surprised you about our evening of hot takes um so what was it something that happened in the evening or anything about the hot takes themselves what was it uh, what surprised you about our evening of hot takes i was surprised i wasn't there because uh, I was really looking forward to it. And I had to fill it at the last minute. So that's a, that's a quick one. I think what surprised me, Phil, um, and um, some of us didn't bother to turn up, um, <laughs> was that um, actually, and, and this was um, Owen, I, I can't remember whether it was you and Owen, Phil, who came up with this or who actually came up with the idea of doing the Hot Takes event. But um, it, for me, it felt like we had the main festival of fringe which by the way was a you know, um sorry the festival of work event which mm. by the way was very good i really enjoyed it it, it was buzzy there was um, lots of interesting sessions but it felt like this was a bit of an alternative fringe type event in which everything was up for discussion and it was interesting how again the people that did turn up um were quite open to be quite provocative mm. uh, and and challenge each other and i think it would be fair to say we had a loose idea of how we want to how we wanted to run the session but it pretty much ran itself mm. um which which for me was i think if you if you're the kind of person who needs really rigid structure would have been probably quite unnerving but i'm quite happy to go with the flow with that but i I don't think you can set up a hot take session without being quite fluid, which I think was an interesting observation for me, was how well that format worked and how good the discussion and the conversation was that it never felt like it was dragging in any way or people were not comfortable in sharing. It was almost like, yeah, you know what? We're, we're, we're in a safe space. No one's going to judge us if we say, is there any relevance 
to us doing this or doing that. Mm. Um, so for me, that was, um, I was genuinely surprised at how quickly we got to that level of understanding. There were some people obviously who didn't know each other there, so that helps, but there were equally people there who just seen mm. just seen the thing and signed up and, and came in and were really open and candid, which I think was a real credit to the event actually. That's why I like the concept of a hot take though, is because I I don't yeah. think there's pressure on it to be true or even something that you personally Doesn't. believe. It's just no. like, can we just look at this issue from a different angle and see mm. if there's any value in that? And there, mm. it might be that there's none, but it's safe. You know, to Lizzie's point about psychological safety, it's it's safe to do that. Thank you, Russ. Uh, Lizzie, what surprised you? This is going to sound really bad, but I was surprised by... Um, how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> you want to go to the pub and talk about work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I've never been to one of these events. Obviously, I was kind of um, helped set it up. So I think there was a level of like, oh, is it going to run well? Is everyone going to enjoy it? So I think because I was so focused on that, I didn't, there was no expectation that I would like, I knew I would learn stuff, but actually enjoying it, um, and I just had like the best time. And I think, yeah, because everyone was just so welcoming. I didn't, apart from Phil and Ashley, I didn't really know anyone. Obviously, I knew you guys, but well, not you, Ross, you weren't there, but I knew you, Nadia, but I'd not met you in person. There definitely mm. was a level of like, I guess, nervousness, but I just felt so instantly like comfortable. And definitely, even from like someone that doesn't, I feel like my knowledge base is like tiny compared to sort of you guys. Um, but weirdly, that I didn't. I didn't felt like that held me back from sharing things. And I think that is partly because of how safe and how just welcoming everyone was and how, um, yeah, fluid and just open it felt. Um, so yeah, I was surprised, yeah, I guess by how much I enjoyed it. Cause I just, yeah, really loved it. And I really, really think we need to do another one at some point. It's, it's kind of why I was uh, mourning the loss of Twitter because I was in your position, um, about 10 years ago, Lizzie, and came in not knowing that this was a, a career that existed or wh what it, mm -hmm. what people did and what the roles were and what anyone was talking about. But I found that the LND community was incredibly welcoming and friendly and open to, there was like, there was no expectation that you would come in knowing about the kind of stuff that people who've been here for a long time talk about all the time. And Twitter was a great space for that, um, you know, to the topic of today's chat. It's a shame mm -hmm. that's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just finding new new ways to connect with people. Um, I know the L&D network, this is a little plug for them, but they do these um, like in-person co-working spaces like across the country. Um, and they held one in Leeds like a few weeks ago. And I went to that and that was great. But again, meeting people in the L&D space. And again, everyone was so lovely. Um, so yeah, anyone that's listening that is new or just wants to meet more people in L&D, go to those events because they're really good as well. And we'll put we'll put links in the show notes to um yeah to the L and D co-work pages where you can mm -hmm. find where where things are. So I know you weren't there, Ross. Um, uh, was there something that surprised you about the hot takes when they came out? You know, when you got to review them afterwards. Yeah, so I think that they were uh, they were more candid than I expected. I, I worried mm. like to the psychological safety bit. I I think I was a little worried going in that people might um go for kind of topics that were a little bit mundane or or a safe mm. or kind of just repeated themes from the conference but i'll just I'll maybe flag a couple of them yeah cool. um so 
on the I mean on the other podcast we talked about most employees aren't actually interested in L and D. So I think that's like a, an interesting perspective at an L and D conference to talk about. Mm. Um well-being programs are a thinly veiled apology for working employees to the bone. But I don't mm. think that comes up a lot in, in well-being conversations. And mm. then um, the EDNI one I thought was really interesting and, re- and really provocative. I thought we need to be more honest to the overrepresented, what they'll give up and what they'll gain. Um, yeah, I would love to have yeah. chatted about that. So yeah, I was really surprised that um, it sounds like a very safe event where people were willing to talk about these things. The, the, yeah, the, the EDNI one was a really interesting one. Uh, it was quite a fiery debate. In, in, I bet it was. Yeah, only because I think we almost, and obviously people moved around and picked, you know, which ones they were interested in. Um, that statement was a culmination of really talking around, similar to what we've just said about well-being, lots of organisational initiatives and not much yeah. to really show for it when you when you when you look at the hard cold data. Um, and the the organisational transformation and change that needs to happen in order for some of that data to look quite different is is a like most seismic society, societal shifts require relinquishing of power in some way by yeah. dominant groups. That's that's how it works. Um, and I think the conversation was very much in the space of until we face that conversation with those dominant groups nothing is really going to change um which i think is as i said isn't just something lnd can fix <laughs> um you know yeah. it, it, it's quite a structural issue but those dominant groups are the ones that are have these concerns so for example if you're going to have more women on boards then you do yeah. by the nature of that need to have less men and um, yeah. as um I, I think when we talk relentlessly about the the benefits of diversity and inclusion initiatives, there's going to be a subset of people who think that's a threat to me. And those are the people who need to be convinced and brought on that journey. So when we ignore that concern and don't talk about it, you know, we're ignoring kind of the, almost the main source of the issue because it's uncomfortable. Well, yeah, they need to, they need to be convinced, but no one is going to relinquish power without, without it being challenged in some way. It's just yeah. not how power works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sure. you know, I think I think you're right. It, that is that, that 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 you know that in many cases is the permafrost within organisations because that group is not changing um, or understanding where 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 things will have to change and become more competitive or um, be relinquished in some way. But I think it, it was a really interesting debate. Very very interesting. Um, it's one I think we should have more of, but it's. It, 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 see Barbie it, it for further quite, details. See Barbie for I, further details. I do. Yeah. I, I too have a female aunt, so <laughs> very <laughs> inclusive. That's, that's a joke for anyone who's seen Barbie. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that. that, that <laughs> I missed that reference. I have not. I have not seen Barbie yet, but yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. This is the CEO of Mattel. Uh, the Mattel board who create Barbie are entirely men. And uh, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. who's the CEO, starts listing his uh, equality credentials. One of which is he has a female aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. 
Yeah. 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 Well, it also sounds like we might have two more um, hot take episodes to record. I, I mean, I would love to get into the well-being as a thinly veiled, um, it is a thinly veiled corporate thing, and and I think the EDI one as well. So, um, you know, potentially mm. we've got another we've got another couple of, uh, of episodes to to explore the hot takes. Um, sure. And to your point, Lizzie, I definitely think <laughs> we should do another one. I mean, whether Ross comes, yeah, but uh, I think we should definitely think we should yeah, do. Bad if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, in the classic Emotional Work podcast way, then we will finish off with a round of, is there something else there? Is there something else or something more that you're thinking, feeling, or would like to say? Lizzie? Um, I just want to say thank you to Nadia and Ross for coming on um, and just making the conversation so insightful. Um, I feel like I've learned so much just talking to you guys. Um, so thank you very much. And thank you, Phil, as always, for running the podcast. Thank you, Lizzie. Uh, Ross? I would thank Lizzie for coming on because I think, uh, you know, I, I, I do the Mind Tools Energy podcast every week. I have done for seven years and probably I'm a little bit, yeah, I've drank the Kool-Aid. So it's really nice to uh, mm-hmm. speak to someone who's a bit newer to the industry who has some fresh perspectives and maybe ask things or has observations that uh, uh, I think those of us who have been here for a while wouldn't have thought of. So thank you, Lizzie, for your contribution. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Nadia? Yeah, I guess it's coming back to your original kind of premise for the work that um, Emotional Work does, Phil, which is anything that involves the human condition um, and requires building trust, transparency, rapport is going to take time and communities and practices and all of that. And I think it's like, um, you know, people who want to do networking and say, I need to do more networking. And they think it just means sending off 25 emails to somebody to say, hey, would you like to, you know, we sometimes get it on LinkedIn, random people messaging you to to network. It takes time to build a network. It takes time to build a community. And there is um, definitely, in all of this, the earlier you start in your career and the earlier you start in your life in understanding the value of human connection and uh, and that, that the better and easier it is for you to do that rapport and trust building. Um, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It does take um, quite a bit of time and effort to do it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia. Um, all right. So to, to round us up then, huge thanks, uh, Nadia Ross, for, for coming on. Uh, Mindtools are a fantastic company. Um, and and what I love uh, about what they do is the evidence that sits behind it. So the research that the the Mindsource team put together, the quality of the act, the quality of that research, the depth of analysis, the rigor that goes into it is is just brilliant. Um, and something that I think just stands stands you guys apart from from others that are out there, um, as well as the uh, the toolkit and then the customer learning and everything that goes with it. So uh, we'll put a link into uh, to your website and just to say, yeah, huge thank you, Nadia. Huge thank you, Ross, for, for being with us today. Uh, Lizzie, thank you for coming on. It's been wonderful to have your voice on the podcast uh, as well. And to you, fair listener, I will bid you farewell. Say thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you head over to the Mind Tools um, podcast as well, because if you enjoyed this episode, you will love what Nadia and Ross do over there. And leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. 
You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. And if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening.